you've got DraftKings, FanDuel, and maybe BetMGM that are going to be profitable finally after five and six years. They're finally going to be profitable. These are bellwethers of sports betting, essentially. And they're just now reaching profitability. And everyone else is kind of trying to figure it out. I think that suggests it's just a structurally a very tough business. Hey, this is Jesse here. And you're about to hear my chat with David Isaacson from Spectrum Gaming Capital Technology Exchange, which is helping connect gaming industry companies and investors. In this discussion, David explains the mechanics of the platform for both founders and investors, his view on the funding landscape going into 2024, and his experience reaching the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro earlier this year, and why it left him with a deep sense of gratitude. I really enjoyed this chat with David, and I hope you do as well. But before we get started, I wanted to make sure that you secured your ticket for the next New York City Summit next March, which is already tracking to be a sellout event. I happen to have a little bit of insight into what the next team has planned, and if you're a startup founder building within the real money gaming industry, I can genuinely say that you can't afford to miss this event. The team at Next.io has agreed to offer a limited number of discounted tickets exclusively to listeners of the Betting Startups podcast, which is literally the only discount code you'll find for this event. Get $100 off your ticket by looking in the show notes for this episode and applying the discount code at the checkout when you buy your ticket. There's a very limited number available. They're first come, first served, and when they're gone, they're gone. Head on over to www.next.io for more information on the New York City Summit, and I look forward to seeing you there. All right, we are back with episode 94 of the Betting Startups Podcast, and I have my friend David Isaacson here from Spectrum Gaming Capital Tech Exchange, which is a bit of a mouthful for me, so I'll probably use the acronym SGX from here on out. But David, great to have you here. It's been great getting to know you this year. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. Uh, excited to be here and uh, a big fan of yours, as you know. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get right into it, David. You guys are up to something pretty interesting, something pretty unique that I think is adding a lot of value to the space. So looking forward to unpacking it all and, and helping the audience understand what it is you guys are doing. But before we get there, as is customary, it'd be great if you could give folks listening a bit of a sense of your background, maybe some of the major stops along the way or, or chapters of your journey before uh, launching SGX. Sure. So my name is David Isaacson, and uh, I'm the Senior Vice President at Spectrum Gaming Capital, SGC for short. And uh, we are a, a boutique financial advisory firm focused exclusively on the global gambling industry. We're essentially an investment bank and a, a financial consultancy. Our partners are Spectrum Gaming Group. They've been around for about 35 years doing uh, economic consulting and regulatory consulting in gaming globally. And uh, our company started uh, in 2013. My colleague and I, uh, Rob Heller is my colleague. He's the CEO and I'm the SVP. And we started Spectrum Gaming Capital in 2013. Talk a little bit more just about, I guess, the work SGC does, David. And again, for, for the benefit of folks listening, many of which are entrepreneurs and founders at the earlier stages of their journey, where does, I guess, SGC fit in sort of the wider VC, private equity sort of funding landscape? Just give a bit more context around that, if you would. Sure. So um, essentially what we do is two things. We have an investment banking, investment banking mandates, as well as consulting mandates. On the consulting side, we do a lot of valuation, fairness opinions, strategic advisory, general financial related work. So companies hire us to do their financial modeling, to do complex financial analysis for them. And essentially we go from assignment to assignment. Definitely keeps us on our toes. An interesting business because we are working 
on all facets of the gaming industry. So land-based gaming to digital gaming, iGaming and sports betting and esports. And on the banking side, we work on interesting mandates from development advisory work. So in 2015, we were hired by a developer in Cyprus, which is about an hour outside of Israel. Cyprus was getting an integrated resort and they wanted to pursue that license. And they hired us to be an advisor on that project. And ultimately we arranged a strategic partnership with Melco. So that was a project focused on, on an integrated resort. We've raised capital for smaller companies, most notably Walker Digital Table Systems, which is a table game manufacturer based in Asia. Uh, all that is to say we work in a, in a very niche area. We work on small deals. We don't compete with uh, large investment banks. We're you know, much more on the smaller side, on the boutique side. And where we're going and hoping to take the business is really to help venture capital and venture stage firms to raise capital in this environment. And, you know, certainly we can get in, we'll get into that. Excellent. That's very helpful. So, you know, you have a broad view of the industry, of course, with everything you just talked about and the different verticals within it. And it's interesting, you've, you know, SGC has been around for, I guess, 10 years now or thereabouts. And now in the last year or so, you've launched a new project, which is what we're here to talk about today, which is SGX, as, as I mentioned at the outset, we're going to use that acronym for the tech exchange. And I guess, David, it'd be helpful just as a starting point to uh, maybe provide a high concept overview of, of what is SGX and maybe backing up even before there, like what was it internally that sort of had you guys thinking that this is something you needed to do and, and thus sort of invested in initiating and launching this project? Sure. It all started like everything, uh, it feels like, with the repeal of PASPA in 2018. A lot of companies approached us over the years since that time, seeking capital, they see capital is in our name, Spectrum Gaming Capital, and then say, oh, can you guys invest in our business? And uh, a lot of these companies needed advisory advisors, and we never really were able to take on that kind of work because it's essentially done uh, on, on spec. These companies are, they, they don't know if they're going to be around for the next six months. They don't have money necessarily to hire an advisor on a formal basis. And we had to really turn all these uh, inquiries away. And about a year ago, my partner, Rob Heller, came up with the idea to create an exchange using technology in order to try to help these companies raise capital, bring them onto a, a platform and connect them to investors that are interested in investing in the space. Interesting. So, you know, a two-sided marketplace and in, in, in fancy, I guess, business language, but basically what you're doing, you're bringing together deals and, and investment opportunities with obviously qualified uh, investors and, and sort of sitting in the middle of all of this with your tech platform you just talked about. Can you break it down a little bit more, David? And I guess maybe starting with the entrepreneur side or the founder side, can you talk a bit about, I guess, what that looks like for them? Like what qualification criteria do they need to meet to be welcomed onto the platform? And I mean, maybe can you give an example as well of, of I guess, like the, the type of company you're looking for, size, stage, sector, et cetera? Sure. The focus of our platform is essentially you have to be a revenue producing company. So the, the business can't be in the idea stages. It has to be an operating business, does not have to be profitable. And our goal is to bring on revenue producing companies that have a window to profitability in the next two to three years. Strictly speaking, we'd like it to be two years to profitability. And, and those are kind of the minimum requirements. 
beyond that, we talk to a lot of companies and we, we are interested in companies that we like, that we believe in. And companies can be in the gambling or gambling adjacent space. Typically, what we're seeing is mostly companies that are focused on sports betting or iGaming or both. Got it. So, you, you know, the, the qualifying criteria I hear there primarily is based on the path to profitability within that two-year window you mentioned. But on the revenue side, is there any sort of minimum revenue requirements? I'm just sort of thinking about like profitability is a bit of a, a term where, you know, there's, you get a three-person team, they're just sitting there uh, bootstrapping a business. Technically, they might be air quotes profitable, but it might not be to the scale you guys are thinking about. Like, is there any sort of like revenue criteria as well? Or how do you sort of think about that? When we started this, the revenue criteria was you just have to generate some revenue. And that was essentially to get some companies on the platform. I think the, the most recent company that we added has revenue for 2023, about $750,000 of revenue. So it's, uh, you know, it gives you some indication that they do have some revenue. It's not, you don't have to be generating five or 10 or $20 million of revenue. Companies that we're onboarding are much smaller. And what we hope to accomplish here is that these companies season on our platform. So what does that mean? We are recruiting the companies to be on our platform. And what they have to do is they have to fill out an application form, which, which essentially answers a lot of the questions that would be answered in an offering memorandum. And each quarter we want, we are requiring the companies to continue to update us with what is hopefully good news, such that a company that maybe in Q1 had some traction, but not enough to be uh, quote unquote investable. After uh, a couple of quarters of seasoning, perhaps the, the trend is looking a little bit more positive and they season on our platform and investors get to see these companies evolve and mature. Very cool. And then I guess let's talk about the investor side of it, right? So you have these companies on the platform. What does it take for an investor to get access to these deals? I assume there's some sort of level of accreditation they need to have. Like, just talk a little bit about that and help us understand, I guess, uh, the investor side of it, David. Sure. So the investors that we are seeking, we, we have about 50 investors on the platform. They're all companies, either strategics or institutional investors that have an interest or a propensity or history of investing in gaming or gaming technology or gambling adjacent companies. The investors have to be a qualified purchaser. And this generally means individuals or family offices with at least $5 million of assets to invest or investment funds with, which, with at least $25 million of assets to invest. These are all, all of the companies that are on our platform are companies that we know from being in this space for the last couple of decades. Uh, we have a relationship with these investors. We are looking to broaden our investor base because as you know, sports, gambling, and technology are certainly merging together. So we continue to expand our investor base. Right now we have about, like I said, 50 investors. We also have strategic investors. The uh, strategic investors are gaming companies that do make acquisitions such that our platform can be a place where VCs or, or, or early stage companies rather can raise capital, but also can entertain becoming acquisition targets as well. Interesting. So, you know, you have the two-sided marketplace I mentioned, I think, you know, through the relationships and network that you have via SGC, obviously you're able to sort of populate that platform with investors in your network. And obviously sounds like some, some companies are starting to find it. What's your business model sitting in the middle of all of this? How do you guys monetize uh, all the activity and value you're bringing to participants? 
Good question. So right now, there's no charge to be on the platform. The charge is the um, the pain that we put you through in order to to get on the platform, and that pain involves really, really digging deep and vetting your projection model and your pitch book, making sure that it, it all ties together. And whatever you put in the application, which essentially is what we call it a transaction summary, that has to tie to your documents. If you say you have a contract, if you're a B2B and you have a contract with Entain, for example, we are actually collecting that contract and reviewing it to make sure that number one, it really exists and it, you're portraying the contract as it is written. In that sense, we're creating a fully vetted data room for the investors. Once you're on the platform, you have to update again every quarter. We want you to update, perhaps it's your numbers, but more importantly, it's going to be, are there big contracts that you've signed up or is there other important news that you want to share with investors such that we have that seasoning element? If there is a deal that is completed on the platform, we charge 5% up to the first $5 million of capital raised and 2% above 5 million. Typically, we're looking to recruit issuers that are raising between two and $25 million of capital. If there's an M&A transaction, we charge 1% of the uh, enterprise value of the transaction. Got it. I mean, hearing you talk about it, I mean, to me, if I close my eyes and think about it, it, it sounds a little bit like AngelList, albeit geared more towards this industry, sort of, sort of like a niche version of AngelList. So I guess through that lens, I'm just sort of curious how you and the team think about the positioning of SGX for entrepreneurs and I guess what message you would say to them as to why they should list on your platform versus alternative funding methods like AngelList or even things like crowdfunding platforms and doing sort of public campaigns, things like that. Like, I guess, yeah, what, what's the overall value prop that would compel an entrepreneur to, to list on your platform? Sure. I think that the main value proposition is that we are gambling focused in both our day-to-day -day business and in SGX. We're exclusively focused on the global gambling industry, such that the exchange only includes investors that are really interested in this space. We are experts in the industry and uh, we try to be helpful to the founders. We try to help them with their pitch. Uh, we help guide value the valuation discussions. And uh, we also write in the transaction summary that is generated on SGX, we write what the three things we like about the company and three things that investors ought to do more due diligence on. So to the extent that people care, and not everyone cares about what Rob or, or I think, but we do write what we like about these companies, why they're on our platform, and you know why um, investors should take a look. Got it. So you're providing almost like a lightweight endorsement of the companies for the investors, demonstrating that there's at least a minimum bar of qualification that they've passed your test to even be on the platform. So that makes a lot of sense. And I guess would be the value add in addition to, as you say, your team's deep expertise within the, the gaming domain. So I guess I'm interested in zooming out just a little bit here as well, David. You know, you've launched SGX now, obviously it's almost like a startup within FGC, if you want to think about it that way. What do you think success looks like with the project, right? Like what, what are your ambitions for what this ultimately becomes? And I guess like, what's the vision for SGX long-term? So I think, you know, near term, it's about deal-making. We want to help effectuate deal-making for some of these small companies. It's about having product to talk to investors about, and, you know, certainly to be able to market these companies. I think that's an important thing. Ultimately, what success will look like is if founders uh, and, and issuers generally in the gambling and gambling technology space 
think of SGX as a place where they have to list. Now, I, I want to emphasize this is not uh, an exclusive platform. So if you list on SGX, but you have your own relationship and you raise capital through your own relationships, you're not beholden to us. You're not beholden to the platform. You can do that on your own on, on a non-exclusive basis. But the hope is that companies will want to come onto SGX because they understand that they're going to get exposure to dozens and dozens of investors in one fell swoop. And I think that would suggest that this was a, a successful endeavor. And of course, you know, deal making and being able to transact several deals per year would be a, a good thing as well. Awesome. Further zooming out, I guess, I'm, I'm just curious to get your general view on capital markets, but funding landscape specifically for early stage companies and real money gaming. I mean, look, it's not exactly news here that it's been a challenging year for entrepreneurs in this space. And, you know, my own spreadsheet here that I track uh, funding announcements, I mean, year over year from 2022, it has been a steep cliff in terms of the drops. What's your sort of pulse check on it? And I guess looking ahead to 2024, do you see any major shifts in, in the capital markets and the fundraising climate or What's your sort of overall pulse uh, at the early stage within the industry? So I, I will say at the outset of, of my answer, I think raising money from outside investors is the hardest thing anyone can do in, in business. It's never going to be easy to raise capital from outside investors. What I'm seeing over the last, I would say, year or 18 months, you know, the sports betting business is a tough business. And I think when you look at it fundamentally, the way I think about it, you've got DraftKings, FanDuel, and maybe BetMGM that are going to be profitable finally after five and six years, they're finally going to be profitable. These are bellwethers of sports betting, essentially, and they're just now reaching profitability. And everyone else is kind of trying to figure it out. I think that suggests it's just a structurally a very tough business. What I see and what I'm excited about on the horizon is iGaming, actually. In terms of my industry colleagues, the people I talk to and the things I see at industry conferences is that the entire industry has never been more aligned about getting iGaming legalized across more states and just more expansion. I think that is the catalyst. And I think for the startups that are focused on iGaming, that's probably where the easier opportunity is in terms of raising capital. Having said that, I don't think it's ever going to be easy to raise capital. Indeed, indeed. And given that you are vetting all of these companies that are applying to be featured on, on SGX, you know, you see a lot of pitches and, and decks and opportunities. So I'm just curious to get your perspective, David, if there's sort of like one, two or, or three pieces of generalized advice or guidance you could share with founders to maximize their chances of success with the fundraise, given how hard it is, as you just said, you know, what, what are a couple of the, the tips, I guess you would say to, to really maximize chances of success with a fundraise? The number one thing that I think is important is real focus because some of the startups that I see, you know, they have a product and they'll talk about, you know, we've got three to six revenue drivers, right? We can tap six revenue sources and got three that we've turned on and we've got another three in the pipeline. And I think that suggests that there is a not, they're not as focused in terms of their product, how they're going to generate revenue. In my view, I think when you have a targeted pitch, a specific focus, a specific area that your product is solving for, I think that bodes well and is much easier received by investors. And I think the other area that I think is important for founders is that, and some of the founders that I talked to, they focused on one thing over the first phase one of their journey, and they realized that, you know, that wasn't working and they fine-tuned and tweaked things. 
and they kind of pivoted to another direction, I think founders should embrace that pivot. It looks good that you've started something and there's obstacles that you overcame and you had to pivot. And I think that story resonates well. Founders should embrace that as their journey. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? I mean, many times at the early stage, as as the old adage goes, right? You're betting on the jockey, not the horse. And that's somewhat in, in recognition of the fact that at the early stage, more often than not, the original hypothesis for starting a company isn't actually correct, right? And it takes those pivots or those adaptations to really find that product market fit. And it really takes the type of founder, I think, that is adaptable, that is willing to listen to the market, that isn't in love with their idea, that they are willing to sort of let it go and and, and make those changes necessary to ultimately maximize their chance of success. So um, I think those are great points to to hammer home for, for any founders that are listening. And I think we'll leave a, a lot of the founder discussion there, David. I do want to spend a couple of minutes towards the end here talking about an adventure that you were on this year. So as I mentioned, we, we've chatted a few times throughout the course of this year. I think it was in the summer we were on a call and you're, you know, we're like, oh, well, you know, we'll catch up again soon. I'm like, well, you know, what about in a few weeks? You're like, ah, it's going to have to wait a little bit. I'm going on a trip. And you went on a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro and you decided to climb the mountain. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because to me, I mean, that's a potentially like life-changing trip to take. And I'd just love to get a little bit of perspective on number one, your experience taking that trip, why you decided to take it. And then you know, on the back of it coming home, I'm curious, did that trip and, and sort of the experience of, of the, the challenge there, did it result in any sort of like profound changes in your perspective or philosophy or, or worldview? I'm just sort of curious to kind of hear how, how that may have influenced sort of the way you're moving forward here. It's a great question. It's a topic I love talking about, as you can imagine. I'm 41 years old. When I turned 40, I really decided I, I need to like start checking off uh, bucket lists, like, you know, between the ages of 40 and 50, I got to get, you know, all these things on my bucket list done. At 40, I, I ran uh, the New York City Marathon and, you know, kind of checked that off. That was really, really hard. And, you know, about two years ago, I, I had a friend who told me about Kilimanjaro. He had climbed it in, in 2016, told me about the experience. And I'm like, you know, that's something that I really feel like I want to do. And I decided in August, which is always a very slow time for our business, I'm going to do it. I like to shoot my shot and then I, and then I make it happen. So I actually went with my son and we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. It was a a 10 day trip and an incredible experience. So happy I did it. I would not do it again though. Just like the the New York city marathon. I I like to only do things once, but in terms of what I took away, I, I think it's a great question and I have a good answer. What I took away is gratitude. Number one, gratitude that I summited because 50% of the people that try to do this don't make it to the summit. And number two, gratitude uh, about, you know, kind of how lucky I am and what I have in my life because I'm not going to get sappy here, but we had 13 Tanzanian porters and guides and a chef that were supporting two people going from camp to camp. And these people, you can imagine, are some of the hardest working people I've ever seen, you know, just carrying the camp from camp to camp and also just the happiest people that I've ever been around. So it just gave me a real sense of gratitude for, you know, what I have and, you know, where I'm at in life. And it just uh, was a very inspiring experience. As you can imagine, I highly recommend for any of my friends and for you, Jesse. 
All right. Well, I'll see if I can fit that into the 2024 plans. I'll have to check with Mrs. Learmont here. But no, I, I love the story, David. And, you know, it, it sounds like a, a profound experience. So I just appreciate you sharing a little bit of that experience uh, with, with me and the audience here. And I guess speaking of 2024, looking ahead to the new year, I mean, what are you excited about? What really gets you pumped about 2024, whether it be business, personal or otherwise? Like, what are you really looking forward to? And I guess looking through the optimism lens uh, in a world where there's obviously lots to be uh, pessimistic about. The number one thing I'm looking forward to in 2024 is just continuing onboarding companies onto SGX. We are seeing some interesting companies, I'm always learning new things by talking to these founders, which definitely gets my juices flowing on the gaming side. And, you know, this is more on the land-based gaming side, but I am very, very interested in what appears to be gaining steam, which is the uh, LATAM Brazil and Brazil market. And I'm seeing a lot of traction there talking to a lot of people that are interested in doing business with us in that region. I'm also excited about that region. And then I'm also excited to see what happens with iGaming and sports betting as the, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's are, are now you know going to be profitable. Perhaps we get a few new iGaming states and that will just be more venture opportunities, more founders and more disruption in the space. So in the gaming world, there's always new things and it's always very exciting. Well, maybe there's an opportunity in LATAM that will necessitate a trip down there for you and you can go do Machu Picchu next, right? <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, or Patagonia. There we go. Awesome. That takes us to my standard closing question, David. I'll quickly rattle it off to you here. If you weren't working in finance, investment banking, private equity, anything like that, or if you weren't working within the gaming industry or in any other previous jobs you've had in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? So I, I, I actually have the answer for you. The first answer I, I would have said in my younger days, I wanted to be an NBA player. So that didn't work out. I'm not tall enough. I wasn't good enough. But no, the, the more practical answer is I'm Jewish. I'm very dedicated to Judaism. Uh, I'm a practicing Jew. And I probably would have been a rabbi teaching uh, Talmud or Bible in a uh, Jewish day school. I would do that in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I would have, I probably would have been a math teacher because I love numbers, which I, I guess, you know, goes well with me being in the gaming industry. So probably a rabbi in the morning and a math teacher in the afternoon. I had a teacher in high school who was my favorite teacher because he used to teach us in the morning Judaic studies, math in the afternoon. And during lunchtime, he'd be on the phone with his broker trading stocks. So that's probably um, what I'd be if I wasn't in the gaming industry. Awesome. David, for anybody listening that wants to get in touch with you and or learn more about SGX and check out the platform, can you quickly plug how, how they can go about doing all that? Sure. So uh, you can reach me at spectrumgamingcapital.com is our website. SGCTechX.com is our SGX website. I'm on LinkedIn and I often speak at the conferences. I attend a lot of the gaming conferences. As consultants, we can't be hard to find. We have to be really easy to find because it facilitates business opportunities. So I am definitely around. Awesome. Well, on that note, I look forward to seeing you at uh, the conferences next year. But for now, we'll, we'll leave it there, David. It's been great to catch up and do a bit of a deeper dive today into SGX and wishing you and the team all the best with the project and look forward to continuing to follow the story. Thank you, Jesse. Really appreciate it.